The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. Hi, it's Maura Aarons-Mealy, host of The Anxious Achiever. Today, I bring you, I get this question a lot, where my friend and colleague and leading executive coach, Nihar Chaya, and I hash out a question that we hear a lot from the people that we work with. Today, we're going to talk about how to know if it's time to leave your job and go out on your own. This is a question that understandably is on a lot of people's minds. And I think it's really important to layer over an angle about mental health and also how maybe your particular anxieties play out both in the idea of keeping a job and trying to be an entrepreneur. I hope it's helpful and please let me know what you think of these more conversational LinkedIn lives. Hello. Hi, Maura. I think I hear birds. Do I hear birds? When you came onto the stream, I thought I heard birds chirping. It was so lovely. There might be. That's <laughs> on my window, but. <laughs> it was so lovely. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? It's good to see you. I'm glad we were able to do this again and get back together. I know. It's such a fun experiment. It's going to be our summer experiment. Um, every other week, we're going to do one of these and we're going to put them on the podcast feed every other week. And the question that I thought I would bring today that I get a lot is what I'm calling, should I stay or should I go? And this is a question I bet you get a lot, which is, should I leave my job? And I want to throw another little spin on it that a friend of mine brought up who got laid off from her senior job level job after many years at the job. And her question was even, should I have left sooner? Should, what, did I make a mistake? Did I get complacent by not leaving? So let's talk about how you know when it's time to go. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of variables in, in that, you know, in that question. I know that you and I both had the experience that we can share about uh, having left corporate world and to start our own thing. I, I, I was giving this topic a lot of thought. And um, I think the way I framed it for myself was to think about, are you running away from something or running to something? And, um, for, for me, you know, I think there were times when I would love to kind of run away from a difficult work environment at, you know, working for a boss or working for a big company, but I didn't really necessarily feel prepared to start on my own because I wasn't sure that, you know, I needed to actually have some experience and some social proof that would really make some sense out there in the market. And that's a really important lesson. I think for anybody who's trying to start an entrepreneurial career in general, like just be, be be aware of the competition out there for any industry you're in. And then when it comes to running to something, um, I think it's uh, really getting in touch with kind of what interests you and maybe how do you use that experience to create your own kind of brand or your own uh, service. But for, for me, I think it was 
really knowing that I had financially the runway in place, um, or at least the, the familial structure that was going to support the fact that this is going to take a few years to ramp up. Um, and I think, you know, not, I never say that you need to have it all figured out. Like I definitely didn't know whether I was going to be successful as a coach, but I did talk to folks that were a few steps ahead of me and really understanding kind of like, how do they do it? And, you know, I remember the first piece of advice I got from a few coaches that I, I worked with before. They said, it's going to take at least three years before you really feel confident here. And whether that was true or not, um, I didn't know, but I definitely was like, okay, I need to really get my expectations in, in line that it is not going to happen overnight. And you need to be prepared for this to be a, a pretty, pretty long process. I know. What I'm hearing from you is the importance of planning, the importance of some market research, and the importance of setting the expectations for yourself and others around you that like, I'm probably not going to be an overnight success and we need to be okay with that you know? Yeah. I think also just being able to prepare for you internally that, you know, what does success look like? I remember one, one of my friends whose wife had actually started her own communications company told me that you really have to redefine what success and failure quote unquote looks like. Um, because when you're working for a, a, a nine to five or obviously more than a nine to five, but like a salary job, even the bad days or the days where you're not really doing as much um, con contribution are still considered successful. You're not really thinking much about them, you know, as like a failure in the, in the grand scheme of things. But it could feel like you're a failure if you're not able to pay the bills on your own or pay, you know, for me, the big thing was insurance costs. That was like a big shock for me. I, I remember talking to my accountant the first uh, time I had to file my taxes on my own. And I was like, what's self-employment tax? I had no idea that there was this thing that was on top of the income tax, right? That's the first thing I tell anybody who is going to be a self-employed person, whether it's just you, whether you want to start a business, don't forget to save for taxes. It is the biggest pitfall. Um, Alyssa has just listed a great question. And this is a reminder that if you're watching or listening, please put your questions up. We will try our best to answer them. I love this question. And this is exactly what I am dealing with this week, Alyssa, and what I wrote my newsletter about with a little different spin. How do you prepare yourself for the length of that process in the face of so much, quote, I was instantly successful posturing on social media, right? You feel like you're the only one who's taking three years to scale up and everybody else is already got five-star clients and on their Ted talk. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, man. That is, that is a constant struggle because, you know, I think social media in general, you're just going to always find somebody that is that, that, you know, it seems like their success has been overnight or, or they really are successful, but you don't really understand kind of what went into it to get there. Um, I, do you have a perspective on that? I, I definitely am curious about your thoughts. Yeah. I, you know, so I, I wrote a newsletter this week. Um, I interviewed Dr. Michael Freeman on my podcast, who's a famous psychiatrist at UCSF um, and studies entrepreneurs and mental health. And the framing that he puts forward is that most entrepreneurs make less money, have less retirement security, take less vacation, have fewer hobbies, have far more work-life conflict. Like his positioning is like, who in their right mind would become an entrepreneur is being on your own, especially in the U.S. where we have no social safety net, 
a lapse in judgment. And yet, of course, so many of us who do our own thing feel like it was really the only choice for us, you know, like to do what we wanted to do, to take care of ourselves, to, to be the people we wanted to be and to create. We had to be entrepreneurs. And, and I definitely feel like I am, I am that person. I left corporate America when I was 30 and I've been on my own since then. So almost 17 years. And I look extremely successful as an entrepreneur. This was a very vulnerable newsletter for me to write because I felt like I was admitting failure in the newsletter because basically what I said is, you know, I am a successful entrepreneur. I've built and sold a company. I, you know, have published two books. I have a really popular podcast. I get paid speaking. Like I'm successful. And yet it is still a struggle for me. It is still a hustle. And I'm really tired and I'm really, really anxious. And I'm beginning to question like, you know, what is all this anxiety worth it? Would it be better to get a paycheck for once? And so Alyssa, I feel very much trapped because I, I have created a whole brand around, oh, doing your own thing is so great. And it is. But it's also exhausting and the hustle doesn't stop. Even my most successful leadership thought leader friends who are at the top, top, top tier in terms of what they can charge per hour, in terms of speeches, whatever, they still hustle. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. It never ends. Yeah. I don't think it ever ends. And it's interesting because the on on I don't know if you would agree, but like when you are actually succeeding and getting those highs, such as like the fact that you were able to be the one that landed that client, or you were able to really take a client from, you know, point A to point B, that the reward is is something I, I've never experienced before in, in the corporate world. Amazing. You know, it's amazing. It amazing. just, it is completely the kind of self-efficacy that you were, were looking for, you know, um, Maslow's hierarchy. It's like, I finally have reached that, you know, point. But with that, comes comes definitely the you have to go out there and hunt and you have to go out there and build and that that business yourself um you can't sit around and just wait for it to come to you and i would say also you know like sometimes many of us who are solopreneurs there can also be the the um feeling that like am i really an entrepreneur i mean i'm kind of just a consultant you know i'm i'm really like a contractor or i'm a freelancer you know, and so there, I don't generally feel that way because I know part of me never really wanted to be a CEO of a company, but I know that there are people that oftentimes in the coaching world do feel that as well. Like, am I really a, an entrepreneur? Cause I'm, mm. I don't really have a team. I don't really have a business or right. a, kind of a repeatable product. Um, but I think the, the idea of hustling and also wondering if I'm keeping up with the, the, uh, the competition is always going to be, be a part of it. Yeah. I mean, I want to come back to the freelancer, solopreneur versus entrepreneur. Um, but, but Alyssa, one of the things I, I want to say, and I, and I absolutely know this to be true, is two things. One, social media is designed to make us feel bad and create FOMO and envy and jealousy. And the second is the people who we all think their life is a bed of roses. It's not. And they, you know, one of the things that social media allows you to do very effectively is to look what I call fake rich. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, 
And I think that, you know, it is, and it's, look, that's good. That's a skill you need when you're on your own. You've got to cultivate the aspiration. You've got to cultivate the sense of, wow, if I worked with Nihar, my life would be awesome, just like Nihar's <laughs> life is awesome. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the rest of us then sort of like, we drink the Kool-Aid too. And we're all like, oh man, why am I not like Nihar? When the truth is, we don't know. We don't know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, such such a great point. You know, like, um, and I think also a, a, as it relates to the coaching world, the the consulting world, especially when you're like your 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 brand, you know, it's a whole different story because people are. I am selling in some respects myself. I'm not selling, you know, a product from a consulting firm, um, and so the self promotion piece is almost uh, a necessary part of that, and. I, I don't might like that part necessarily. It's not my favorite part to do. I had to learn how to kind of be okay with the bragging and stuff like that, you know, in a, in a nice way. Uh, but, you know, we also are consumers of the social media too. And I see the kinds of profiles that I also would be like, uh, you know, I don't really know if that's something that I would compare myself to, or wow, that's something I really want to get to, you know, it's, it's just an interesting kind of um, dynamic we're all in where, you know, if you really want to be an entrepreneur and start your own thing, you know, you have to almost be willing to play that game a little bit because people are kind of buying you as opposed to just the service you have. People are absolutely. Amy, yes, everyone is fake rich. Okay, but, <laughs> but I have a question for you. Is the sort of self-promotion and building the allure that we do as people who earn our own money or sorry, hunt what we kill, whatever you want to say, that different than building a corporate reputation and cultivating your own allure and reputation within an organization. Yeah. So I, I had, um, this personally experienced where I, you know, I had to decide when I was working internally, did I want to start building any kind of social proof or visibility while I was there? Um, Back when I was in, in that world, I think there was a lot less understanding of the need to get out there and be, build your brand or maybe even a little bit less acceptance. Oh yeah. It, you know, a lot of companies were like, I, I remember my company was like, you can't even have a LinkedIn, you can have a LinkedIn profile, but you can't have any recommendations from people. Uh, yeah, it was, it, they were really big on like, we're not having you become this, um, solo, I mean, this kind of side hustle type of thing. Uh, but there's other companies now in particular, I think as companies are realizing that people want more in their work life than just one company, I think there might be a little bit more uh, allowance of, you know, those kinds of things. As it relates to building your brand internally, what I do tell people, a lot of my clients is, you know, nowadays everybody's Googling each other. Everybody's checking on LinkedIn. Everybody is going to look you up before they meet you. Um, you have to decide how much to own that narrative. And so even if you're going to be in the company forever, I think it's important for you to still have a, um, a digital footprint that people can say, oh, okay, this is how I think about this person. This is how I feel when I read about them. And so if you want to show that you are competent in a certain industry or that you are very, very well read or have a really big interest in a certain type of, um, you know, domain, uh, start being aware of that because people are looking you up, looking you up and, what I, what's also interesting, Maura, is that a lot of folks that I find who do get to the place where they want to leave their company, they realize it's too late now to build a digital footprint. 
you know, hmm. because they were so focused on their own internal network. It's like, I have so many people there say, I've never even worked, checked my LinkedIn profile in like years. Cause I don't really need to, I've been working here, but now all of a sudden they're thinking, oh, I want to look around. I want to meet some search firms and stuff like that. Well, they don't know who you are because you, you have nothing there yet. So I think it's, it's a useful exercise to, to work internally, be loyal to your company, but don't, don't kind of avoid the idea of kind of like digging your well before you're thirsty, mm -hmm. you know, get out there and create that, that connection that you might, that might pay off later. I love that digging your well before you're thirsty. I think so. But I also think the art of building personal relationships and stakeholders that you would have internally as a successful person is the most valuable skill that you're going to need to build your business, whether it's a pipeline of clients, whether it's your creating a product, whether you're opening a restaurant, you know, so I think that there are probably a lot more transferable skills than, than we think when you have been successful negotiating. I mean, for me, with my, with my anxiety, I think I realized very early on at a young age that the office politicking was, 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 a bigger, there are two things set off my anxiety more than the fear of not having any money. One was, as we talked about last week, last week, lack of autonomy. I have no control over my time or where I am or what I do. The second was constant human relationship negotiation in a corporate structure, which every organization has. And I don't know, for some reason with my anxiety profile, that was too much. Like, for many years, as I wrote in my newsletter, the notion that I might not have a steady paycheck, that anxiety bothered me far less. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, I think that- what, what do you mean more about the negotiation? Like, so in other words, fitting in and kind of knowing that you were going to uh, know how you were received by people in yes. relationships? Right, yeah. um, image management or um, presentation mm -hmm. management, executive mm -hmm. presence, building allies and coalitions, keeping my juice. Oh my God, mm. I had a really hard time keeping my influence. Like, and this happens, you get yeah. hired, you come in with power, but you slowly see it getting sucked away and people layer over you. Yes. Right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And so that was, I would completely resonate with that. The anxiety of the politics and the relationship building and really kind of ma maintaining those relationships as things change. Yeah. was, was to me, one of the most, um, troublesome dilemmas of work life, particularly if you're trying to move up. And I think just even on a numbers basis, it's so challenging because as you move up, there's less roles above you. As you get older, there's way more younger people coming in. Um, you know, that's why you have so many people stuck in the middle of middle management. And a lot of people, I think when they think about this idea of like, should I go out on my own? A lot of it is coming from that place of just that, that angst where I'm stuck in the middle. I don't really have the the um, excitement and the motivation I had when I was early career, but I also have not gotten the C level thing that I'm been shooting for yet. And so, what do I? What does this mean for me when I turn 50, 55 years old? Can I say anything about my career that that I can be proud of? You know, or like that, that's going to be really kind of um, transferable. And so, yeah, it's very anxiety inducing. I totally agree with that. But does that anxiety and that angst mean that you should go do your own thing? Like, how do you counsel people to evaluate what that yeah. angst, what, what is that angst telling me? 
Yeah. So I think, you know, I, I generally will say all these things are saying something. There's a lesson to be learned. You know, so we, as you and I have talked about, so much of this is about hiking up our self-awareness. And I, I believe that, you know, anxiety and, and all these kinds of triggers are very fear. They're fear inducing, but they also can be real great teachers uh, if you're able to sit with it. And so for me, I, I definitely recognize that the, I got to a heightened sense of anxiety just about the time I decided to leave and start my own company. It got to that place where I'm pretty sure now that you know, like I've seen the pattern enough times that I don't know that I'm going to ever enjoy working for a boss. You know, um, I'll, I, and, and again, let me also say to a lot of people, this was after 20 years of working for bosses. So, you know, I, I really did get to a place of now I think I know how people do this. Um, I definitely would not have known that 10 years into my career. I don't think anybody would have taken me seriously. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it also helped that I worked at a few consulting firms where you worked in a bigger company where you were an external provider already to those clients. So I saw how that was done from a consulting perspective. Um, but I think when the anxiety got so so bad, I guess, or it heightened enough, that was when I said, this is the time I need to start harnessing this towards something productive, hmm. as opposed to constantly banging my head against the same old thing, because I've done this enough times to know it's probably not going to change. That's interesting. And if you're listening out there and you have a question, please pop it in for us. Yeah, I, I think that um, for me, I, when I talk to people who are feeling that angst, that itchiness, all the existential questions. And also, I think right now, the fear that I could get laid off any time, like, should I make the first move? It, it's hard to say, well, yes, entrepreneurship is definitely the answer to all this. <laughs> it's not that easy. Right, right. So that is a great point. Also, um, you know, companies, it's it's it always fascinates me how many of us we we're conditioned to be loyal to our companies we're conditioned to to really do our best for for them and that's we should um but they don't think about you when you're gone hmm. you know they they're quick on to the next one you know i it always uh, we might have talked about this but it always you know makes me laugh when people say we're a family you know come on, we're the, we're the so-and-so corporation family. It's like, yeah, but I mean, tomorrow, literally somebody's going to leave or be let go and, and you're going to move on to the next one. And so I think it's important to recognize that as you get older, um, and even if you're successful, like, I mean, let's face it, a lot of people who are already in the C-suite might not get the CEO job, you know, and it's time for you to also think about, like, are you comfortable being in that C-suite forever? Which is great. You know, you're financially rewarded well. Uh, but maybe on a personal uh, basis, you might say, I'm always going to feel like I'm number two and I don't enjoy that. I want to try see if I could get the top job somewhere else. Um, I think it is very important to think about, should I get ahead of something that, that could be out of my control, such as being let go or, or being kind of passed over for a promotion and really have those options in front of you? Um, and, and, and I oftentimes believe that just having options is a really healthy way of, of, of approaching things. You don't have to necessarily jump into that next option and, you know, everything might on one day, you might say, I want to get the hell out of here. And the next day you might be like, oh, I'm so happy I'm going to stay. Um, but I think the better idea is to, to know that you do have a few options in front of you. And so you might say, Hey, let me dabble in talking to other entrepreneurs. 
Uh, let me increase my network as it relates to internally. You know, one thing I'll tell you to your point, which I loved about the value of having relationships internally. A lot of my first clients when I became an entrepreneur were from colleagues that I had internally. 100%. Right? So I think really developing those friendships and relationships is so important. Um, don't get into that mindset of like, I'm out of here. You know, I'm not going to deal with these people anymore, right? Those are the folks that actually will bring you in to different companies as you as you get started. Right. Those are those are the loose ties that you need to keep in your network. I mean, I I think for me the single greatest lesson that I learned about being an entrepreneur was social capital theory. I, I talk about this all the time. I wrote about this in my first book, but you know, part of building that optionality is having a diverse network of loose ties. And loose ties are, they're not your best friend. They're not your colleague that you talk to a million times a day. They're the person, you know, at the San Jose campus who like you like, and they sort of like have put a few things in your on your plate. It's that person you met at a conference. It's that podcast that you love going on. And so thinking about that network and also, is it diverse? Are they from different pools? Really thinking about that and treating that network very well while you're employed, I think creates a lot of optionality, both should you want to go get another job or do you want to do your own thing? Yeah. Yeah. And the diversity of it is such a great point because, you know, if you think about how you can help each other going forward, if you, if you surround yourself too much with people who are exactly like you, that's when it can get a little bit competitive and a little bit, you know, a little bit strange around like, are they going to help me? Or are they going to worry about me getting in their, in their sandbox? But when you have a diversity of contacts and especially loose ties, if you meet the friend of a friend, that, you know, that's a great tie because that person is going to feel less pressure to have to help you because they're not your friend, but they're going to feel a certain level of obligation, not obligation, but like a, a desire to help their friend who's your mutual connection, you know? And so that's a really great, great strategy as well. Yeah. Uh, talk just for a minute about social proof. Yeah. So important. So I think going back to the idea that, you know, like I couldn't have been a credible coach starting out really young or, you know, not having done the work before. So I think that was a great, that's a great lesson that I would share with people is, you know, you probably have a lot of social proof if you've been in the, in the business, you know, for, for enough time. But I do think it's important to make sure that you have enough, um, examples, uh, that, that, you know, if you're going to go out there in, 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 in your, as an entrepreneur, that your future customer is able to say, okay, they're kind of a proven commodity and not somebody brand new. I do, I do worry a little bit about like the younger generation now where um, I saw this great, <laughs> this great meme where they said, you know, uh, Lord, please grant me the confidence of a 25 year old life coach. <laughs> you know? It's like, there's a lot of these younger folks, right. Who are like, I'll be a coach. And it's like, you haven't even lived yet, yeah, you, know? You, know but, you know, but now with, with social media, you can get on TikTok, you can build a business. And I'm, I'm all for that, by the way, like in terms of building content businesses. And, um, you can certainly learn a great deal about marketing from like the younger generation I mean, using these tools, but, it, but depending on the business you're in, like I coach CEOs and senior executives, they need to know that I'm not like right out of school. You know, and and I have to have something that that's based on business best practices that I've experienced, um, and so that works for me. But I do think that social proof is critical to really build that that brand for yourself, especially when you're starting out. I a hundred percent agree, and and I and I think for me, you know, social proof doesn't have to be people; it can be 
being in the media. It can be being on podcasts. It can be having a great LinkedIn page. And what you want is you want to create the sense of credibility in your chosen field. And again, this is something that you can start investing in while you're employed, speaking at conferences, you know, and you don't need a million, a couple good links, you're good. Um, but yeah, yeah. So there's a lot that you you can be doing if you're thinking that one day, one day I just want options. I might want to go out on my own and investing in that. Um, mm -hmm. As we wrap up, I, I want to come back to the thing that I think is the biggest factor in should I stay or should I go? And that's money. Mm -hmm. And money is so hard because there's the reality of money. We all need it. <laughs> We need yeah. a lot of it in America and it's real with our anxiety and our stories around money. Yeah, it's a, a huge point. And um, I would say in my own experience, you know, it first I had to kind of really level set my expectations around earning money, but also what success looked like to me and my family. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, we didn't have a child when I started my company. And I remember back then, my wife and I, she was fully supportive. She was working, but you know, she was like, she wasn't in a job that was gonna really aspire. She was a teacher, so it wasn't like gonna really be a lot of movement up above. Um, and then at the time we were thinking, maybe we won't be able to have children. You know, for me, it was so important to have my business. Cause I, again, I just didn't see myself as productive or happy working in a big corporation as like a cog in a wheel. Um, and so this was my dream and she was supporting me and we were gonna go, go after it. And then, you know, we, we did get to reach that point where we were like, you know, we don't want to regret not having tried to have children. And I was fairly doing well. So we went for it. And now we have a three and a half year old daughter, which is, which is great. But the truth is that we had to start with that mindset of like, this may not work out, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I know entrepreneurs that have gone into coaching and then they went back to, to a big firm because they had to. Mm -hmm. uh, I think having a little bit of that agility and that mindset to say, this doesn't have to be forever is really important to have. And, and I also think if you can kind of uh, tighten up the, the straps a little bit on your, on your uh, expenses and things like that, it's really, really going to pay off. Yeah. You know, you might have to be a little bit, you know, more structured with your lifestyle and everything like that. But, it, but it really, if you really want to be independent, it's kind of the price you pay to be able to have that life, that, that life that you really want. I so agree. And listeners, actually, in my newsletter this week, I included two very basic tables that will help you calculate both your expenses and what you need to achieve in basic revenue. Because honestly, so many of us, especially those of us who are a little anxious around money, we don't have a good sense of where our dollars and cents come in and go out. And that is the number one thing you're going to need to look at and know if you decide to leave. Oh, that's a fantastic tool, Maura. I'm going to definitely check to that as well and pass it on. Yeah. It's just a table. No, but it's good to talk about. Well, thank you so much. And listeners, if you have a question you want us to discuss two weeks from now, please send them on LinkedIn and come find us on LinkedIn. Great to see you, Laura. Thanks. Thanks for joining. Bye. Bye. That's it for today. To hear more LinkedIn Lives, head over to my profile on LinkedIn where they're all indexed you can subscribe to my newsletter too. And be sure to subscribe or follow the Anxious Achiever feed for more of these conversations, as well as my regular podcast episodes.